Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today. And I want to give a very warm welcome to Raul Hernandez Ochoa. Raul is the founder and CEO of Do Good Work, a consulting practice that helps independent digital businesses achieve profitable growth. With extensive experience as a digital growth strategist and entrepreneur, Raul is known for helping businesses achieve profitable growth and make a meaningful impact. Raul has tripled the growth of digital businesses, generated millions in revenue, and designed high-performing marketing and sales teams. He's been responsible for driving 50 million in sales and overseeing 25 million in ad spend, and has trained thousands of entrepreneurs through private programs and live events. Raul is also a published author and a sought-after public speaker, sharing his insights and strategies for success. Today, Raul and I are going to be chatting about strategies for achieving profitable growth and how to transform your business into a scalable machine. We'll learn what works from Raul's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses just miss the mark. Oh, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Hey, thanks for having me, Stacey. Of course. So I always like starting off with what got you here today where you're this mecca of strategy <laughs> and growth and oh, wow. how'd you land here? Oh, man. Definitely not the mecca, but uh, by accident, actually. I was okay. trying to start a software company and that turned into partnering with a friend that I've never met, but we were connected on Skype. If you still remember what that is. Uh, he was in Brooklyn. I was in San Diego. We started a company and we're like, hey, let's dive into solving a problem for the market. Turns out that market that we were serving needed marketing and sales. So I'm like, okay, let's learn it. So we learned it, started doing services, more freelance, fractional uh, agency, started developing, booking clients. And that took me out of my day job in finance. I was at JP Morgan retail banking side. And it's uh, I was like sales at scale, like Very different. Move quarter of a million dollars from one bank to another, like that game. So I learned the learned that there. Then building the company online, we're like, hey, this is not what we want to do because we were building it to where we needed to hire a team. And I really loved being in the weeds and doing the work. Um, so then from there, helped transition to help other agencies, uh, digital marketing agencies, grow from acquisitions to a merger to all that fun stuff uh, to leading teams and being part of uh, some thought leaders in, in the space. And that's where I got my first exposure to training and support and. During that experience, I've also helped a, the, the one agency that you mentioned. We tripled them in less than a year, almost tripled, nearly tripled. So I got to be transparent there in less than a year. And uh, my my coach at the time was like, hey, you got to write that down. Like, write what down? Like the thing, like the thing that, like the process you took. Like, it's not really a process, just like some principles that I tie together and we got stuff, stuff done. It's like, write it down, like, whatever. Wrote it down, turned that to be a book, started doing coaching and consulting and then helping interesting clients and teams grow and been part of really fascinating projects. I've been honored to work with really great marketers and salespeople and teams online. And that's how we're here. It's still a work in progress and still try my best every day with a sip of coffee every time. That works well. So scalable, that's a word that we hear a lot about how to scale your business. And mm -hmm. it sounds like you kind of fell into creating this new business that you have. It's not so new, but because you were told to write it down so that you could scale, basically. Part of it, yeah. Scaling the thoughts. Like I, it leaned into doing consulting and I'm more of a practitioner where I can speak from experience, but I can also do, which okay. I think is a rare thing. Like you don't want to learn how to get fit from someone who's not fit. So how to do that. 
That happens a lot though. It's frequent. Yeah, I know. And so when you're working with a new client, what is the first step that you take? How do you help, first of all, figure out what's actually needing to be fixed and to mm-hmm. um, where the growth opportunities are? And then how do you figure out from there what the next step is? I think, I mean, I'll just tell you real experiences and real examples. Um, it's, I mean, there's always the audit piece. I mean, you'll hear this from them in the McKenzie's of the world, the big like consultants, whatever. you got to do the audit, review what they're doing and then find like what's from here to there. What's the next, like, that's the obvious. But I think what makes it different is always aligning to the goal of the business owner. I come from a bootstrapped entrepreneur background. I work with people who have to make their marketing pay for itself. I have to work with people who live and die by their sales. I love that. And I honor that. Um, I don't, I have worked in the past with some that are, might have funding or whatever, but it's the bootstrapped entrepreneur. We always have to align what is their actual intention with starting this business and what is their end outcome? And we overlook that a lot of the times. We talk about revenue. We talk about growth. We talk all that fun stuff. Great. Why? I think that's an important question because answering that why answers the strategy piece. Do you want to exit? Uh, for example, I have a small group of cohorts. So I just finished the first call this morning, our new uh, cohort group. And a lot of the question was, does anyone here desire to sell their company to a, a private equity or to exit one day? And maybe 60% of the room opened their, like raised their hands. Some want to do it because they want to have cash flow, invest in other parts of their life or businesses, or even just a portfolio. Others want to do it because this is their passion and they're going to do this for the next 10, 20 years. Others want to do this because they want to exit in the next three to five years, just depending. Answering that question first allows you to design backwards what we're building. And I look at it through a design perspective. I actually was going to be in animation and I won't tell you the animation firm that I wanted to go to, but back with my AOL account, I used to remember that one. Uh, I used to email uh, like animation director. So I come from a creative lens first and then putting the analytical on top of that, but it's all design. What are you designing to? And what is the best road to achieve that growth number? or that exit number. And going back to something you said at the very beginning, the why, do you find that a lot of business owners don't actually know their why and you have to actually get through working that out? Are you finding that people have their why firmly established? They know their intent and their overall plan. Thankfully, when they come to me, it's gone so much to the point where They're either too bottlenecked, burnt out, or frustrated that they know exactly why they want to make the necessary steps. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I I like to power lift with the barbells and the heavy lifting. So I I can relate to the work that we do is more foundational. It's setting the right form for your body to adapt to higher stress and then taking those repetitions and those actions. So in the beginning, I think a lot of people or entrepreneurs that I work with or hoorah raw, they, they're excited, they follow whatever the hype is on YouTube or whatever, and they take action, and then they hit a wall. They're stuck in their growth. They're frustrated with what's going on. They don't know how to like, bridge the gap. And they're just they're in the stage of stuck. And through that introspection, they realize, wow, this is what I really need to do. And with that internal motivation, then they pivot or they make the change to, hey, well, here you can get me unstuck or how do we do this together? So they come already prepared for that and unfortunately have to learn it for themselves. And it's not something that I can just teach you or, or go through with you. Like you have to experience it for yourself. So once you've gotten this why and you've learned, you know, what their overall 
plan is, whether to grow or whether it is to exit, what's mm -hmm. the next step from there? I think it's designing their growth plan. So understanding what the parameters are, like one, one of our teams, or I call my clients teams. Uh, one of our clients, uh, they're a nonprofit and they want to scale pretty dramatically over the next five years. Like it's a pretty dramatic pivot. So the question isn't around, can this be done? The question is, how are we going to do this based on the, the sandlot that we're playing in your parameters, your fundraising, your goals, the number that you want to reach and your team availability and resources. So it's creating a custom growth plan, depending on what's going on in the marketplace, what's going on internally with your team. Who are you actually serving? What's their internal psychology? What are their motivators? And the reason we do that a lot, it, I focus that on, on that a lot is because I don't think that in business, there's siloed departments, specifically for bootstrap companies, like mm -hmm. one, two, five, 10 million. It's all one. Your marketing influences your sales and that influences your product development, that influences your client experience, that influences your user experience and your future iterations and your partnerships. So it's not just, oh, marketing, just do your thing here, sales, do your thing there, product team, do your thing here. I don't have a word to call it, but it's all one symbiotic relationship. So I look at that from a, a psychology perspective. Who are we actually serving? What's their internal dialogue? What's their worldview? And what's their internal motivator to work with you as a company or as a product? And diving into um, positioning, uh, marketing design, sales design, and then product uh, fulfillment to meet those, those client needs. And so you're really diving across the entire company and what you're working with. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a holistic approach with the emphasis of front-facing marketing and sales to, to drive revenue, essentially. Where do you see this causing issues? Do you, does anyone say, oh my God, this is just too much to try to figure out how to embed throughout? Or does it make natural sense to everyone? I think it makes natural sense once you see the process. The only times that I, anytime I teach or talk, it's based on experience, so no theoretical here. So that I know that there comes with limitations to that. But anytime I've seen a real issue around that is when the leaders or the founding team doesn't get strategy or they don't get marketing or they don't get how they all play a role together or the team is too fractional. And where are some of the other missteps that happen? I think the key missteps, that's a really good question. Like if you don't get what's going on here, the key misstep in my opinion is when you start to take action to not being able to measure and identify progress and what does progress mean and having those set parameters to start. Uh, like you'll have, and you see this too in the agency world as well, like you might have an agency or a team that works with an agency or multiple agencies, but how do you keep everyone accountable? How do you have that transparency specifically in a remote world? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I akin to is that where, when you're a founder, if the veil of transparency is there, anyone on the team or any vendor or any agency can get away with things without you ever finding out. Not to say that everyone's there is malicious, but it's how do we keep everyone accountable towards one true north. Right. So that's one of the biggest missteps I see to this day. I will add in just completely, probably not even relevant to specifically what you're saying, but 
when you're talking about the veil of transparency, it just triggered it for me. We have a client who recently shared that they were not actually sure of some of the internal campaigns that different departments were doing within their own organization. Mm -hmm. And they were too nervous to ask about it, which meant as their agency, it was very hard to actually fully and comprehensively understand what the end goal was and mm -hmm. what all the moving parts were and the specifics. And that's something that happens a lot at companies where people aren't transparent and they actually put up a um, an area where people are going to not be able to work successfully together because of fear mm -hmm. within that organization. So I'm sure you've seen that happen as well. I have. Uh, that you're, you're, you're speaking the truth. And I think that the problem is, uh, one of the problems, well, the part of the solution, the solutions aren't these difficult strategies. There aren't these marketing strategies, these branding strategies, these sales. Those are not the, the solution actually comes back to leading yourself and leading others effectively through a remote online uh, fractional workload uh, environment. And I think that's one of the biggest stressors that we've been seeing since last, what is it, 2023, since the last three years. And it's how do we adapt to that and accept that as a, as a new way of operating? Yeah, I've seen more and more companies who have employees who, you know, they're either fully remote and they're just not getting the the hearing of what's going on in their company yeah. or they're hybrid and they're trying to juggle it versus mm -hmm. I don't know anyone who's just all in anymore that truly knows everything that's going on if they're not in their office 24-7. Yeah, I think it has to have specifically for remote teams, there is a higher intention in your communication where over communication becomes the normal. And I've only worked with remote teams and scale remote teams. So I, I know that having in-person is a competitive advantage, but I also think, and this is not, not to this point, but I hear it online. I think it's a cop-out to say that everyone has to return to the office. Yeah. I think that's a cop-out on leadership, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think it depends on your organization and what's needed within it. And your industry too. So that's and a your huge... industry. Yeah, and how your company works and everything else. But being fully remote does enable a lot of the gaps to happen more and yes. more that founders and leaders need to actually understand how to bring people together and fill in that information and not just sending out endless emails because we're now on a data overload too, where yes. no one can actually keep up with everything in their inbox. And unless they have a photographic memory, they're going to read all the stuff. And if they're, if they're a verbal learner versus like a visual reading learner, they're not going to get the information. Yeah, there has to be a heartbeat to the organization, and that heartbeat has to come in either from the executive or the COO, but someone in leadership to continually have that pulse across the company and the organization. And it's not as hard as you think, but it is intentional. You have to be more mindful. Yes. Where have you seen, I know we're deviating a little bit, but where have you seen people be successful with this? How do you, how have you seen remote teams that you're working with be able to actually dial this in well? Well, that's a fantastic question. So much so that I created my own little operating system around it. I think there we have to look at, I mean, you can do this live here too when you're listening to this, is that there's two lines of communication within the team, vertical and horizontally. And then identifying what are the key vertical inter-team communications that need to happen and who is the lead per team. And this is creating leverage and creating um, kind of a decentralized brain. You want to have a master brain of your organization with all the actions that the team or the company is taking initiatives, goals, rocks, whatever you want to call them, daily task habits, and then information 
resources, logins, trainings, updates, memos in one spot, not in like a plethora of emails. Cause you know, nowadays we check email, LinkedIn, Basecamp, Slack, uh, ClickUp, like all these different fractional pieces, one centralized spot. Where is the source of truth? And then finally, where is your source of truth of communication? And those are that I call that the trifecta of digital work. If you have your information, communication, and action in one centralized repository where everyone has access, full transparency based on either their pod or their team vertically. And then also for the leadership, if it's senior management, middle management, or executives having horizontal communication lines with those same things, you can win. And that, in my opinion, when you have that, again, I've only scaled and worked with remote teams. You can do this successfully. And the, the most I've had under my responsibility were about 70 people. So I, I mean, I can't say that I've done it for 500, but I know that the scale is because in organizations of 500 or 1,000 or 2,000, they're essentially small pods of 70 to 100 people per department or whatever. Are there certain platforms that yield themselves to working better for this? Like our team, for example, we use Monday, we use Teams, we use sometimes Slack, we use, you know, there, there's a lot and there's yeah. even more from that. And every week there's new ones coming out with yeah. AI and the different tools. So I That's think the fun. tools, the, the tools matter less in my opinion, but I always get asked what tools to use. I personally, depending on the modality, the ones that I always revert to are Slack ClickUp, Basecamp, and Google Drive. Okay. So you can use those any which way you want. But again, the tools matter less as, as, as long as you have the framework. And this framework foundation, again, this doesn't sound like growth. It doesn't sound sexy, but growth is initiated by having someone have the same idea in their brain that's in your brain. And how do you duplicate that idea into their brain and facilitate their action specifically as you're trying to scale so that it's not all on you. It's not all on your team. And this is why we have to go through this foundational work. So what are the next steps with that? So everyone is communicating on the right single solitary platform hub. Yeah. What's the next step? Making sure that we have the right initiatives in alignment to your goals. So usually I like to break down companies in three departments, marketing, product, and operations. Mm -hmm. Uh, operations and admin finance, they focus on their own thing. They might have the COO or the CFO manage that. For product, you have your head of product or your product developer or your service fulfillment. If you're delivering services, they own product and they own fulfillment and promises. And then for marketing, it's marketing and sales revenue generation. Like Then there's those initiatives. So making sure per department, you have your top one to three actions to focus on. Mm -hmm. or deliverables or outcomes either for the quarter and or for the year mm -hmm. and breaking those down into, is this a one-off action that I just need to get done? Is this a habit I need to implement and execute with a team? Mm -hmm. Or is this a multi-pronged project that is similar to a one-time thing, but it's going to take longer time to execute mm -hmm. and dissecting things that way that you can really get to work in alignment towards what is our end? Why, why are we doing this? And then you just build and then you have follow the simple habits of daily exercise, coming in, communicating, executing, updating, transparency, tracking accountability, and making sure that we have open and fluid communications and en enabling and empowering others to execute. And is there any place in this that things just go wrong? Are there any standard mistakes that people tend to make? Like, do they try to do it all at once? <laughs> yes. So there's two major ones. One is on the leadership and the other is on the initiative is one, 
trying to do too many things in one small stint. So things take typically longer than expected, unfortunately, specifically in tech. I'm pretty sure you know that as well. Like anytime you try to do something in tech, it's like twice the cost and three times as Or construction. Slow. Or construction. I can tell you that right now. We're building an office. <laughs> and so, yes. I well, was- here in California, I mean, here in California, I mean, oh my gosh, <laughs> that, that, yep, that is definitely twice the cost and hopefully yes, it'll be done tight. Yeah. Um, so those, in my opinion, um, when you bite off too much, you start resetting the same goals every quarter and that becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. And I failed at doing that as well. I've had that issue in the past as opposed to saying, this is our one focal point, mm-hmm. depending on the adaptability of the team. If the team takes a long time, like a moving train where it takes a long time to turn, then you know you should focus on less and not do more. If your team is very agile and you're very in a startup environment, you can break things quickly, move fast, adjust and pivot within sprints, short timeframes, three weeks, five weeks, six weeks, whatever your cycle is, then maybe you can do two to three initiatives and get things in that rhythm. So it's in alignment to your team, your cadence and your rhythm, the heartbeat of the company. The second issue I see the most of specifically online, specifically with small businesses, is that the team culture is a reflection of the leader and the CEO. Mm-hmm. which can be good and bad. Good because of the good virtues that you have and how you show up can help other people in the team and culture improve. But also if your leadership style doesn't allow for, for example, I have one CEO founder, like he had hesitancy around hiring someone who was at a higher, like a top tier player, because like I've never let her manage someone who's like a pro in their industry. Like, like I'm afraid I'm going to screw it up. So limiting your own growth based on your personal growth is another issue that I've seen. And obviously, you know, some leaders have it dialed in and they're just Mm -hmm. excellent. Most leaders don't have it dialed in because they're people (laughs) and they're still learning just like their teams are. And there's an awful lot of weight that goes on a leader to perform and provide a stellar environment and, you know, make sure that everyone is feeling like they're inspired and supported. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think we have to have it perfect. I think we just need to be aware of our strengths and aware of what we need to focus on through actually going through growing pains. And I'm talking about like growth pains, which are either burnout, bottlenecks, issues, cash, like all these things that happen as you scale up. Those happen to business owners? No. No, I mean, I know, but like through that, I've um, kind of consolidated what are like the five characteristics or the five pillars of leadership that I think help navigate through that. And I've like just like branded them as the five pillars of heroic leadership. Heroic because you need to do things that are uncomfortable and that take courage to have those conversations, et cetera. But I think for leaders, you may not be perfect right now. And absolutely, I don't think anyone is, but I think if you are cognizant of these five pillars and seeing where can I improve, how can I facilitate this with my team? How can I empower them? I think it's a, prog- uh, a work in progress and gradually getting stronger and better every time that you show up. Um, we can go through the pillars if you want. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. I think the first pillar is being able to set the stage, meaning the words that you use, the intentionality of each meeting and the intentionality of how teams communicate, you can set the frame of mind. You're the director in people's minds, specifically online and remote, where you want them to focus on on that scene, you can have them focus on that. If you want to focus on the bad and the negative and have the team operate that way, you can do that. Or you can set the stage of how you want them to think. So it is using persuasion. It is using influence, but it's also using 
using intentionality of words, intentionality of how we're framing situations, how we're empowering the team to think. And I think that's one of the first, uh, the first pillar. The second pillar is being steady. If you focus on one path, not deviate because it's shiny object syndrome, not deviating and bouncing around in multiple things, just steady and maintaining the course of what we said that we would do. That doesn't mean you can't pivot, but it also doesn't mean that like you're bouncing around, like in the team feels like this guy or this gal's unstable, like, oh my gosh, where are they going to go next? Like you want to have people who work with you feel secure because everyone secretly has a little sign in their head saying, one, I want to be led. Specifically, people who are not entrepreneurial, they just want to have a clear understanding of what is expected of me. What do I need to do? Can you lead me to that outcome? Uh, the third is taking data-driven, informed uh, execution. Not just decision-making, but executing based on empirical data, not just an emotion, not just a feeling. Obviously, the gut feeling has a, a key role here but not just shooting from the hip all the time. And I think there's a lot of books that tell you, shoot from the hip, I'm here to tell you. That'll only get you so far, especially if you want to break a, a milestone. Uh, the fourth is to facilitate movement. You are no longer the doer, the hands. You want to facilitate and empower teams to be decentralized, giving them how you would think, how you would execute, and the tools and the resources so that they can be self-sufficient. And you're now a facilitator, a conductor, an orchestra, and the team plays a symphony, but you're facilitating that. And that's I think that's one of the hardest ones, at least for me. That's one of the yeah. hardest. If you're a business owner, you probably started the business because you were awfully good at whatever you did and didn't feel like the organization you were in was doing as good as a job or that you felt you could do it better. But that means you were doing and you thought you could leave that organization and start a new one and do again and do mm -hmm. and create and build but that's you doing. And if you have spent your entire career doing, it's very hard for some leaders to position over to enable their teams to do and learn from them without getting their own hands, you know, really, really dirty. And by doing so, keeping their team from actually doing. Yeah. And that's brilliant because this, this is where operations comes in. And this is where um, I call the MLA, the minimum level of acceptability, specifically for client facing. Like right now, your clients can only tell the difference between 70% of what you can do and a 75%. And maybe if you execute the task or you execute the work, you'll always perform at 110, 115 because you're, like you're, you're, the, you're the star. But your team struggles at 85, 87. But the client can't tell the difference between you know, 70 and 75. So as long as they're above 75% in competency, you're, you're fine. That doesn't mean to cop out and say, oh, just focus on low quality work. That just means... Have your team perform higher than the client expectation and then train them and work with them. And this is the fifth pillar to feel them, feel others, empower them with training, empower them with empathy, empower them with the support, the mindset, whatever they need, the tools, the resources to do an increase from that 85% in this example to 90% to 92% to 95%. And over time, they will get better. But in the beginning, they will not be where you're at. But over time, when you have these little pockets of teams, in different parts of the company, they're going to together execute at a higher rate with a higher success rate than you ever will because you just you're just one human. And I think again that I know it means true for me, but this is one of the biggest stumbling blocks that I see with entrepreneurs. Hmm. The empowerment or the feeling? The that's what I hear a lot. Uh, the 
how to let go and have trust oh, yeah. that they're going, that your team is going to still help you grow and still accomplish at the level that you could do. And I think your point of saying that, you know, there is a point to get them to at that 70, 75% and then work with them to get higher and mm-hmm. to let go of your own ego and to let go of your own need for perfection out of mm. the gate, because that perfection, actually, if you sit there as a um, leader and you continually show the imperfections of what someone else has done, it is going to make them not want to do in the future. Yeah. There's there's a fine balance to that, but I think going to the first point that you mentioned, I think business owners and like even me going through, I think we fear it because we think it's an act of trust and hope. Like I hope this works, and I'm making a bet that it does. If it doesn't, then it slams in my face. Versus actually having a strategy and going through it. So I there's a, a a process I call core operations and literally listing out and working to create the machine of your business. If you go through that process and you have the tools and you know exactly how it's going to get done, who's going to get done, how you're going to empower them, how you're going to track and measure, and how you're going to make sure that it's done to the level of expectation that the client wants, that you want, and you've captured your signature way of doing things in a way that people can execute on it. If you do that, it becomes less of, I hope this works too. I did the hard work. Now it's time to test it with the team and iterate and become better. And I think having a strategy to deploy that, we can dive into the core ops if you want. Okay. I would love to hear more. And I, yeah, kept you from your fifth reason. Uh, So that was the fifth pillar, the the fueling others, uh, fueling others to, to grow. Great. No, that would be lovely. So the core operations is a simple, um, is a simple framework. And it's a, it has five separate elements, but it's all, it's very basic. It's identifying in your company, what is the, the leading indicator? I call them operating KPIs. So everyone, we always focus on sales and revenue, but those are lagging indicators. What are the leading inputs per all part of your company? From your marketing to your sales, to your fulfillment, to your operations, to your finance. What are the leading indicators? And, you know, having, I've only beat around the bush for too long and I've only worked with companies from making their first million to strategize and hit their hundredth, right? So this is limited. So it's not, I don't, I'm not going to make stuff up, but I haven't seen companies have more than 18 leading indicators. That's a lot, right? So you might have right now six to 12 to 15, 18 and 20, if you want to get fancy, but those leading indicators, you're focusing on what are the key inputs that my team does in marketing? Okay. I need leads. Cool. What are the leading indicators that we have to focus on? And designing this backwards so that you always win because you can control your leading indicators. And then associating each leading indicator to a habit. And the reason I focus on habits, because a company, a habit is either done by you, someone on your team, or a machine. And the quality of that habit determines the quality of the leading indicator, the execution. The third element, the first element is the operating KPI, the leading indicator. The second is what's habit is associated with that. The third is who on your team owns it. Who is responsible for this leading indicator? Who's going to day in and day out, part of their job description, part of their their job role, focusing on the health of that. So you as a leader know if I need to optimize, I know who to go. If it's working well, I know who to praise, who to give a bonus to. And then the fourth is measurement. How are we going to measure this? Doesn't matter the as long as you have accurate tracking, it doesn't matter what tool you use. And you don't, 
I gave a talk in, in, in New Orleans about this, and there was some data and analytical and, and app developers there. I, I, but if you're, if you're one of those, please uh, go like this, put your fingers in your ears. I don't care if you're tracking on a piece of paper. As long as you're measuring the leading indicators, you're not measuring 138 things. You're measuring six to 15. And then finally, what's the standard operating procedure? How do you execute that one habit? And if you do this, you create a machine for your business. And again, heavy lifting work. A lot of people don't see this, but this is what can help you differentiate. Because if you have a unique style, like Stacey, you have a unique style the way that you execute for clients and the way that you work with clients. If you have that unique style, you can capture that and have a team member execute on that and work to iterate and improve over time. So that strategy becomes more of a, I know what I'm doing, I know who's doing it. Here's how we're going to execute it. Versus, I hope this is going to work because I hired X, Y, and Z person to take care of it. I think you're on mute. Are you saying that by hiring, you know, person X, Y, Z without giving them your vision and just expecting that because they had a really great resume, that's not going to work for you? No, I mean, it it might, but I I like to be on the caution of uh, how can we almost guarantee things to work? And I think the measurables that you mentioned, you know, we always talk about measuring something so that we can actually know what to scale and how to scale, but it still is an area that a lot of companies have a work work to do on. And it's also figuring out what to measure versus measuring everything under the sun. Because I've seen Mm -hmm. a lot of companies go down that track too, where now their team is, you know, dotting every T and I and counting when those T's and I's didn't get crossed. And you're getting so in the minutia of it all that you miss the big picture of what you should be doing as an organization. Yeah. And I I think there is a place uh, for, for measuring everything in terms of like maybe your, your accountant or the finance, but here, when it comes to your operations and scalable operations, you want to measure the leading indicators, the ones that you have complete control over and you're designing this game to win. So you can, you're not, you're you're not in complete control right now of your revenue. You're completing control of what inputs drive that revenue. And so that could be anything from if you're in marketing sales, the amount of outreach that you're doing, or the type of cold calls, the types of inbound content, the types of social content, the number of ads, where you're running ads, the dollars you're spending. Um, So those are all leading metrics that you'd be looking at as well. Yes. And then knowing the conversion points and working backwards, if I want X amount of sales calls or X amount of prospective clients, I know that we can successfully work with 33% that hop on the call. That means I need to get an X amount of calls. That means I need to send these many emails, outreach, et cetera. So you do work backwards and then you just set the goals. These are our goals. Let's make this work and things work out. Goals are achievable. It's not just an endless set of, hopefully I reached that goal. And what happens for companies? And I know we've struggled myself as an agency, you know, throughout the years where we're figuring this out of setting goals when, if you haven't been actually tracking So if you're Mm. starting from, you know, you're sitting down as a team and you're like, we're going to set goals now and we're going to set metrics now. And someone says, well, how many, you know, how many outbound calls should we be making? And someone's like, I don't know, because I've never tracked how many outbound calls I've made. No idea. So there's also that where you might want to like go from zero to a hundred very quickly getting there. But some realities here, depending on how advanced and healthy your company is that you're running, you may have some baby steps that you have to take. 
Yeah. And there's no judgment here. I think we're all learning and all growing. And I think the number one step there is just to set a baseline guesstimate. Okay. I think I took 30 calls this week. I think maybe. Okay. That's fine. Cool. Out of those, how many were like qualified? How many were were you able to help? Oh, X amount. Okay, cool. And then how many conversations you do follow-ups did you have? Well, let me look at my calendar. And I think from there, it's just doing an audit and setting a baseline. Is this baseline perfect? No. Does it have to be? Absolutely not, but it's something. And then from there, now that you have a baseline, then you can measure against that baseline and see what's the actual delta. What's that difference? And when you do that, you use like, okay, our true baseline is this for this department or for this measurement. And once you have the true baseline, then you can start setting goals like, okay, cool. Well, if I do 5% more here or I increase the number of outreaches here, it should influence our conversion number. Go run with it, test it, come back. And again, this is a cycle. This is not a one and done thing. But the thing is, it's best to start now versus two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, because what's going to happen is that time's going to go by anyway. So it might as well just start now. Well, now is a great time for you to share. How can all of our listeners find you? And they're like, I need help. How do I know where to go for all? Uh, the best place is just the website at dogoodwork.io forward slash mm for marketing mistakes. That's dogoodwork.io forward slash mm. You'll have access to a free free book, access to trainings and online, and a way to contact me. And so, again, for our listeners, if you did not just catch that, you get incredibly cool free things that he has put together for our listeners for marketing mistakes and how to avoid them today so that you can accelerate your own growth plan within your organization. So make sure that you check that out. And then where do you think after all the steps are taken, what is the next thing that leaders need to keep in mind when they're trying to cohesively put this all together? That the journey matters. Along, uh, we set these goals and these expectations of the destination and the outcome, and that's great. You'll reach it. But also the journey does matter because the journey does uh, determine and influence the outcome. So just enjoying your journey. And getting to the end is not going to yield you happiness unless you actually have indeed enjoyed that journey. And one of the things I really like talking with Raul about before we even started this is making sure that you are approaching life and work with a little bit of humor. because day in, day out, we're all just trying to work and be successful and still be human. And the great degrees of angst that one can feel are are not something that's going to benefit and drive your organization or your client relationships forward or your customers forward without being able to see that things happen. And sometimes you need to shift a little bit along the way. Oh, absolutely. Any last words of advice for our listeners today, Ron? I think that every goal that you have right now is accomplishable and just being honest with yourself and just sticking in it for the long term and making it happen step by step, day by day. And the progress may not be great, but I think that if you focus on one hour of execution per day, you will be able to see those uh, inflection points and those pivot points along the way. Well, Raul, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to reading your book as I have not yet. Um, So thank you again for sharing your insights to all of our listeners today. Hey, this was fun, Stacey. Thanks for having me.
Of course. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. And until then, if you have any interest in learning how you can better leverage your own brand into other people's content, like TV shows and feature films or celebrities and influencer feeds, reach out to my team and we can chat about how to integrate your brand with pop culture. Have a great one.